The last time that we were together on a Sunday evening and studying the Bible collectively, we were looking at Proverbs chapter 11, and I'd like you to return there with me, if you will, Proverbs chapter 11. I told you last time that King Solomon in Proverbs chapter 11 is giving us wisdom which he has gleaned from the Lord. If you remember last time when we studied the first part of this book, I began by reading 1 Kings chapter 3, where the Bible speaks of this great wisdom which Solomon received from God. His Proverbs are fundamentally critical for us to understand and apply to our lives today. If you remember, we covered in chapter 11, verses 1 to 19, and it might be good for us to read Proverbs 11, even though tonight we'll begin with verse 20. You follow along as I read Proverbs 11. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. When pride comes, then comes dishonor but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will smooth his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the treacherous will be caught by their own greed. When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of strong men perishes. The righteous is delivered from trouble, but the wicked takes his place. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. When it goes well with the city, or with the righteous, the city rejoices, and with the wicked, and when the wicked perish, there is joyful shouting. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. He who despises his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding keeps silent. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. He who is guarantor for a stranger will surely suffer for it, but he who hates being a guarantor is secure. A gracious woman attains honor, and ruthless men attain riches. The merciful man does himself good, but the cruel man does himself harm. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward. He who is steadfast in righteousness will attain to life. And he who pursues evil will bring about his own death. The perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their walk are his delight. Assuredly, the evil man will not go unpunished, but the descendants of the righteous will be delivered. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more, and there is one who withholds what is justly due 
and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. He who withholds grain, the people will curse him, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. He who diligently seeks good seeks favor, but he who seeks evil, evil will come to him. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. He who troubles his own house will inherit wind, and the foolish will be servant to the wise-hearted. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. If the righteous will be rewarded in the earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner. If you remember from last time, I talked to you about four things that Proverbs 11 verses 1 to 19 are attempting to show us. Those four character ideas are character itself, verses 1 to 3, destiny portrayed for us in verses 4 through 8, our speech in verses 9 to 14, and money in verses 15 to 18 with a concluding in verse 19. Now I want to continue with that same idea tonight in verses 20 to 31, where Solomon continues to speak of the Lord having certain disgusts as well as certain delights. Indeed, that's even our title, the disgusts and delights of the Lord. I see in verses 20 to 31 three categories of disgusts and delights within these verses. It'll sound a lot like some of the ones that we covered last time, for many of these themes are repeated. They are, number one, character in verses 20 to 22, character in verses 20 to 22, money in verses 23 to 28, and destiny, destiny in verses 29 and 30, also with a concluding verse in verse 31. Now, as we go over these disgusts and delights of the Lord, I want to remind you about several of these verses which are clearly, by the nature of what disgusts and delights signify, contrastative. They are contrastative. They're black and white truths, these Proverbs, that are so easy to understand and therefore easier for us to apply to our lives. And I want to look, first of all, at character. Character. Look at verses 20 to 22 as we study together. The perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their walk are His delight. Assuredly, the evil man will not go unpunished, but the descendants of the righteous will be delivered. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Now, these verses, verses 21 to 20, 21 and 22 are verses that talk about character. And the first thing I want you to notice about verse 20 is this. I had chosen to stop at verse 19 last time because I saw at least a line of demarcation in this chapter 
right between verses 1 to 19 and verses 20 to 31. And that's where I stopped last time with a plan. Because the reiteration of the concept of the Lord's abomination is shown to us both here in verse 20 and back in verse 1. It seems to me that there's a very natural break then between verses 1 to 19 and 20 to 31. Notice verse 20. The perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their walk are His delight. Do you see how that neatly parallels verse 1? A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. You simply can't miss that parallelism. This is why I say over and over again that there is much less randomness in these Proverbs of Solomon than what we might otherwise think. Look at the Lord's disgusts of the character of the wicked more closely. The perverse in 20, verse 20, is parallel to the false balance in verse 1. Perverse, false balance. And both of those are likewise said to be an abomination to the Lord. Notice also the Lord's delights in the character of the righteous. The blameless in their walk, in verse 20, is parallel with a just weight in verse 1. And, like the other, the disgusts of the Lord, in these delights, both of them are said to be a delight of the Lord. Isn't this marvelous? The Lord has fashioned His precious Word in such a way that if we study it carefully, we'll begin to see these things which will impact us greatly in our own Christian walk. What a wonderful parallelism there. The sense of verse 20, of, uh, of course, as we studied verse 1 last time, is that the wicked man is perverse in his heart, which disgusts the Lord, as opposed to the righteous who are said to be blameless. Blameless. No reproach can stick to them. They are God's delight. To be a blameless person means that there can't be anything that someone can say about your life, anything that they know of that would bring reproach upon the name of the Lord. Is this your character? This is a tremendous verse. I love it. It's one of my favorite in all of the Bible. Do you remember that we read this morning from Psalm 101? Did you remember verse 6? Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 101, verse 6, because in many ways that also is a parallel verse. Psalm 101, verse 6, the latter part of it. Notice how much it sounds like this particular proverb. Psalm 101, 6, the latter part. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. Isn't that grand? I think that there are some pretty good reasons to think that this particular verse, Psalm 101.6, might be talking about a person who's walking in a blameless way and therefore is able to minister to God. Now, yes, it could be construed as someone who is blameless in their walk ministering to King David. But it could equally be seen as one whose blameless way is ministering to God. What a fantastic concept, isn't it? By your blameless walk, you can minister to God. We talk about ministering to others and how often we're so heartwarmed 
when people come up to us and they say, thank you for ministering to me. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your godliness. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for that meal. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. And we're so heartened by that. We talk about ministering to others and how others have ministered to us. We're so encouraged when we minister to them and they minister to us. But what about having such a character in your life, such a blameless character that you could have the inestimable privilege of ministering to God Himself? He asks for us to walk in a blameless way, and when we do, it is His delight. Even if Psalm 101.6 is not necessarily saying that, but speaking more of someone ministering to David, certainly Proverbs 11.20 speaks of this. The blameless in their walk are His delight. In what ways can I be blamelessly ministering to God and or to others? Well, here is just one way. Listen, you don't have to turn there. Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15, it says this, Do all things without grumbling and disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Did you pick up on the contrast that Paul gives there? It's really... An exact parallel, again, of Proverbs 11.20. The blameless are listed there as well as the perverse. We have the opportunity, Paul says, to live in this generation, this perverse generation, as blameless and innocent children of God. And he affirms exactly what Solomon is saying here. The contrasts are obvious. Are you a Christian endeavoring to live your life in a blameless way. Well, if you are, Solomon says, you'll delight in the Lord. You'll delight Him. It's really even saying that, not so much delighting in Him as though we can delight in the Lord, because we certainly do that. He can be trusted. He can be prayed to. He can be honored. He can be all of those things as we delight in Him. But this is saying, if you're a blameless person in your walk, you are going to be His delight. But notice the contrast. The perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord. Abomination means odious, detestable, loathsome. Is that any clearer? Delighting the Lord versus being odious to Him, loathsome, detestable. Quite a contrast. And there is something else that Solomon speaks of in regard to the character of a man. Look at verses 21 and 22. Here he speaks of both a man and a woman. First the evil man in verse 21, and then the discretionless woman in verse 22. 22. And you know what I see also? I see a parallel here in verses 16 and 17. And it's reference to both a man and a woman. Do you see it there? There we see a reference to both a ruthless man in verse 16b and a cruel man in verse 17b. We also see a reference to the righteous man in verse 21 and the merciful man in verse 17a. 
See, there's a lot to dig out here. Do you see also the reference to a gracious woman in verse 16a? Well, here in verse 22, we see the contrast of a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Again, another amazing way to see how all of these Proverbs really do fit together in some form of a unit of thought. Now, what kind of character is Solomon talking about here, especially with this evil man of verse 21? Well, he's talking about the person who has an evil life condition. It's an assured reality that he will be punished for his sin. Assuredly, the evil man will not go unpunished. Isn't that precisely what we've been learning about in the book of Romans? Mankind is evil and will face the wrath of God. God will unleash His fury on all of those who are all about ungodliness and unrighteousness. Well, so too, right here, Solomon says that the evil man will not go unpunished. But look at the contrast. But the descendants or seed will be what? Delivered. Delivered. By the way, this may also, in the Hebrew text, just like we've been learning in Romans 3, may speak of a forensic kind of language. Punished or convicted for the evil and the righteous being delivered or set free or acquitted. This is the Old Testament's way of speaking of God's retributive justice toward the evil and His reckoning of justice to the righteous. And it all speaks about the characterological aspects of how the evil person lives his life and how the righteous live theirs. Verse 21 could say literally, hand to hand or the striking of the hands, an evil man will not go unpunished. I think the NASB rightly translates this as assuredly. It's hearkening back to the old-time idea that your handshake was as good as your word. Hand-to-hand, people striking hands together, shaking hands. In other words, at that time, when you did something like that, your bond was your handshake. It was assuredly going to happen. And that's why it's translated here, assuredly the evil man will not go unpunished. It's as though two entities strike hands together, shake hands together, and say that this absolutely will happen. These unrighteous doings and the unrighteous behavior will be punished. And the The opposite is true. The descendants of the righteous will be delivered. It's as though in the paths that are trodden continually, ending in the pattern of death for the evil, there'll be eternal blessing for the righteous. I pause tonight and ask the question, what category are you in? These are categories. These are life patterns. These are people who are in their character, in the habits of their life, perverse, evil, or righteous and blameless. What category are you in? Would you be categorized as an evil or a righteous person? It's a monumental question. Absolutely monumental. Because it means either your present and eternal punishment or your present and eternal deliverance. 
And the woman isn't left out either. Instead of being a gracious woman, according to verse 16, this woman, verse 22, would be otherwise beautiful except she has a ring of gold in her snout. Now, is that graphic or what? What's it talking about? It's obvious what Solomon is after here. You can dress up all you want, wear all kinds of makeup, have lovely features which would otherwise be admired by all, but if you lack discretion, it's just like putting a fine piece of jewelry on a pig. just doesn't work. I was talking with Pastor Todd, and he told me at one time in their family they were given this pig, this stuffed animal, that had a, a snout, with a ring in it. And they said that was a great reminder of this particular verse. That is a great reminder. In fact, he even told me that when David Todd was younger and they were on vacation somewhere, that at one point, David Todd, wanting to assure his dad not to look in that direction because there was an immodest woman coming, said, Dad, gold ring, pig snout to the right, don't look. It's a good idea, isn't it? This buxom, immodest woman was coming close. And David Todd wanted to warn his father. It's very nice. An ugly pig with a ring in her nose. Is that what it says? No. Beautiful. Beautiful woman. That's the, that's the sadness about this. So it is with an otherwise beautiful woman who can't keep her words or her actions discreet. She really ceases to be beautiful, doesn't she? You know, I've seen some women in my life that I would not particularly classify as pretty on the outside. But because of their sweet spirit, their godly countenance, they appear to be more beautiful every day. Because they have discretion. Because they're modest. But Solomon says a woman who lacks discretion, however, lacks literally taste. That's the literal rendering of this Hebrew word, ta'am. She lacks discretion. She lacks taste. Means that she lacks discrimination. The ability to, to decide between right and wrong. She lacks discernment. Again, an ability to distinguish between two things, like good and bad, for instance. Turn over in your Bibles to Psalm 34. And this is the same use of that particular word, Psalm 34, and it's rendered with that literal rendering. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste, ta'am, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. And also over in Psalm 119, Psalm 119, verse 66, also speaks of this. Psalm 119, verse 66, Teach me good taste, good discernment, good discrimination, and knowledge. Why? For I believe in your commandments. You know what Solomon is saying? A woman who lacks good judgment, discretion, 
discernment, discrimination might have otherwise been beautiful, but now is as attractive as a pig with a gold nose ring. Not very attractive at all. Ladies, how are you faring in this? Do you have the ability to keep a lid on it? Do you seek the Lord for the ability to decide what to say and what not to say? Critical area of the Christian life. How about what you say to your husband, to your children, to fellow members of the body of Christ, to unbelievers? You see, you can be a beautiful woman both on the inside and the outside. That is, if you have discretion. The two can often go very, very well together. One commentator on this verse says it this way, Ornamentation of an unclean beast is the same as beauty in a woman with a depraved character. This is all talking about character, isn't it? Verse 20. Verse 21, verse 22, all talking about the character of a person. How's your character? These Proverbs are just giving us so much a stark contrast, and it does that by way of jumping out at us, telling us, don't be this way, be this way. Don't behave this way, behave this way. And it goes on even to talk beyond the person's character, but also their use of money. Look at verses 23 to 28. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more, and there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. He who withholds grain, the people will curse him, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. He who diligently seeks good seeks favor, but he who seeks evil, evil will come to him. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. Now if you'll notice, verses 23 and 27 are quite similar. Both the righteous, in verse 23a and verse 27a, speak of a man who desires to seek good and who is seeking only good when he does seek things and is therefore seeking only good things and will be seeking and presumably finding favor with the Lord and His people. But the contrast is also given. Look at the latter part of verse 23. And the latter part of verse 27. The wicked has ungodly expectations because he seeks evil. And explicitly, Solomon says here in verse 27b, evil will come to him. These two verses, at least, at least in their negative form, is also somewhat parallel to verse 7 of Proverbs 11. Look over there. When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of strong men perishes. Look also at chapter 10, verse 28. The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked perishes. Again, contrastative, black and white. If you pursue evil and wickedness, 
If your ungodly expectation is to receive what you want to receive, both you and your expectation, Solomon says, will perish. If indeed this is within the inclusio of Proverbs 11, verses 23 to 28, where verses 23 and 27 encircle verses 24 and 26, that's what an inclusio is. It gives us, again, one unit of thought. It's not random, it's a unit of thought. It is a classic contrast, isn't it, between good desires and wicked hope. You say, well, what is it in terms of money? Well, in regard to money, if you're righteous, you'll make and spend your funds in a way that is commensurate with your spiritual convictions. You'll spend it rightly. And generally, your desire, the blessing, the prosperity of the Lord, which we'll talk about in a moment, will be realized. However, if you have wicked plans, wicked hopes, wicked schemes, not only you, but even your expectation will perish. And notice how Solomon zeroes right in on the specific issue of money and labor in verses 24 to 26. This is fascinating. Look at how all three verses show the blessing of the Lord upon the generous person. Look at verse 24a. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. The scattering here is no doubt the generosity of your material goods. The sharing of what the Lord has given you with other people. Verse 25, notice this, it takes both lines to affirm, the generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will be himself watered. If you're generous, Solomon says, the Lord will prosper you, water your crops when they need to be watered. Same thing, look at verse 26, the latter part. Blessing will be on the head of him who sells it, sells his grain, sells his corn. The Lord's going to bless your business with material and or financial prosperity when you don't hoard but you sell generously. You see how all of those fit together? Verses 24, 5, and 6. But look, here's the contrast. The selfish, greedy person. Look at the latter part of verse 24. There is one who withholds what is justly due and yet it results only in want. You know what this is? This is the principle of sowing and reaping, isn't it? Sowing and reaping. If you withhold from what is justly owed to someone, or maybe you've done some price gouging, something like that, you withhold what is rightly theirs. You either steal from them the money that is rightly due them, or you gouge them excessively. Whatever it may mean there, it's saying that if you do that to them, you'll want something at some point for yourself, and you'll go what? Perpetually wanting. This is the principle of God's Word. Sowing and reaping. Look at verse 26. The first part of it takes it even further. He who withholds grain, the people will curse him. Now it's not even talking just about withholding someone's produce or gouging someone or not paying them what is justly theirs. It's now talking about how they respond to such a person. They'll curse you. Invectives. Maybe behind your back at first or maybe even ultimately to your face. Is that what you want to be known for? Look at verse 28. Continues this contrast about money. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. 
See, if you trust in your riches, you'll fall. If you, if you hoard, if you're not generous, you may be gouging someone because you want more money or you may be wanting to withhold money so that you can have it for yourself. Whatever the case, if you trust in your riches, you'll fall. But if you're righteous, especially as it relates to how you deal with your money, Solomon says you will flourish like the green leaf. You remember what the Apostle Paul said about this idea of riches, 1 Timothy chapter 6? He says, verse 6, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Isn't that exactly what Solomon says? He who trusts in his riches will fall. Yes, plunging men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs, many pains. Flee, he tells Timothy, from these things. Flee from these things. When I was thinking about this particular verse, verse 28, about the righteous flourishing like the green leaf, I couldn't help but... Think of Jeremiah 17. Look over at Jeremiah 17. This is my favorite Old Testament passage. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord. Think again of the imagery here of, of a tree, of leaves, of flourishing. Thus says the Lord. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. And remember, that's exactly what Solomon is saying here in Proverbs 11:28. He who trusts in his riches will fall. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, who makes his arm what he can do by himself, his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Boy, that is dry, isn't it? Arid. That is not the place that you want to be. However, look at the contrast. Verse 7, Blessed is the man, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose trust is the Lord. You know what that is? That's both objective and subjective trust. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. I subjectively trust in the Lord. Why? Because objectively the Lord can be trusted. What will be this kind of person? What will they be like? Verse 8, For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. Do you fear when the heat comes? Especially the heat of financial and material want, need. Well, you'll not fear when the heat comes if you trust in the Lord. That's what it says. And what will he be likened to? His leaves will be green, this trusting man. And it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. 
Boy, that's so good. And you can easily and readily apply that to the the situation of money or material goods. Are you trusting the Lord with your financial life? Are you saying, Lord, I don't know how it's going to come, but I'm trusting you that you will meet my needs. Does not King David himself say, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God will take care of us. This whole inclusio here talks about this issue of money. And ultimately the one who's trusting in his riches will fall, but the one who's trusting in the Lord will flourish like the green leaf. Dwayne Garrett writes this, It is axiomatic, that means a self-evident truth, it is axiomatic that greedy and selfish people, epitomized in Western literature as Mr. Scrooge, are hated by the populace at large, while generous people gain love and respect. What the hoarder fails to realize, however, is that in the economy of God, the greedy ultimately lose even the material things they try hard to keep, while the benevolent only prosper more and more. One receives back according to one's own behavior. Those who hoard by refusal either to give or to sell finally face not only widespread hatred, but the, pro- the poverty they dread as well. The generous only have greater and greater prosperity. How are you doing in this area of money? Are you generous? Generous with what you have? Generous in your home, generous with meals, generous with your material goods. How would people characterize you? What would they say? Oh, he's a generous man. She's a very generous woman. They give of themselves. They give what they have. Can you trust God to that extent? Solomon says, if you water, you'll be watered. He says, if you scatter your wealth, your material goods, you'll increase all the more. That's what verse 24 says. Withhold it, and it will be withheld from you. Remember Jesus' own words? Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure... It will be measured to you in return. And I think this is particularly germane to the issue of helping those who desperately need our help. The poor, the disadvantaged. Look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. What does this say? Proverbs 19, 17. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to whom? The Lord. If you're a gracious person, a gracious, giving, pressed down, shaken together, running over kind of benevolent person, you're going to be gracious to a poor man because you're not really ultimately giving to that person. You're lending it to whom? The Lord. And He, the Lord, will repay him for his good deed. Chapter 22, verse 9 He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. And chapter 28, verse 
27. He who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. These these Proverbs tell us so starkly. Do you want to have blessings or cursings in your life? I won't ask for a show of hands. It's obvious. It's obvious the truth of this. It's obvious the direction if we are believers in Jesus Christ that we want to go. In Psalm 112, verse 9, it says, He has given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. Want to be honored? Want to be blessed? Want to be taken care of? Want to be watered? You want the scattering of your seed to come back to you tenfold? Then be generous. Don't hoard what God has entrusted you with. And then there's a third and final category, an area we'll call destiny. Character, money, and destiny. Look at verse 29 of Proverbs 11. He who troubles his own house will inherit wind, and the foolish will be servant to the wise-hearted. Verse 30, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. What's Solomon talking about here? Well, verse 29, he pictures someone who treats those in his household with harshness. Maybe it has reference to his family members, but probably more likely it has reference to his employees, those servants in his household, there would have been many servants at that point in history working in a household. And this leader of the house, this steward of the house, this man of the house is treating them with harshness. And Solomon says two things will happen. Number one, because of his actions, he will inherit wind, which is so graphic. It means that ultimately when he comes time to inherit his riches what has been done by his household via his servants, how he's worked, how his household has worked. He's treated them harshly. And when it comes time for him to inherit, inherit the riches, what does he inherit instead? The wind. What does that mean? Grabbing at things and they aren't there. That's what it is. Grasping for the wind. Go ahead, try it. See how much comes back to you. Grasping at the wind. That's what he's going to inherit. That's his destiny. It's like someone who looks forward to their retirement days when the money issues will be taken care of or so they think, only to realize too late, of course, that the way they've treated those around them has meant the inheriting not of a fortune but of the wind. And secondly, notice... Solomon also says that because of your foolish actions toward your servants, they will end up being your bosses. Notice verse 29b. And the foolish will be servant to the wise-hearted. What a shock for some to realize, again, only too late, that you are treating your servants harshly, And your destiny will be an inheritance of wind and a slavery to others who used to be your servants and now you're theirs. 
verse 30. Continues that analogy of the green leaf of verse 28. Solomon says, The fruit of a, of a righteous man, the fruit of the righteous, is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. He's saying that the fruit of your life, your reward, this inheritance that the foolish man tried to grasp, but he grasped only the wind, this person who's troubling his own house, that's his reward. What's the reward for the righteous? Tree of life. Tree of life. You see the contrast? It's not grasping after wind. It's a tree that's firmly planted. Sounds a lot like Psalm 1, doesn't it? It's a tree firmly planted, which extends its roots by a stream. That sustenance that's coming from the roots by the river, the river of God. God's going to supply everything that you need because you're a righteous person. And then he says, and he who is wise wins souls. You know what that means? I think the best rendering of that idea is that a person is winning people over to your philosophy of life. The philosophy of Yahweh. The God who you are trusting in. The God who has made you righteous. The one who has acquitted you. The one who ministers to you. And the one whom you minister to. That's the philosophy of life that you want to get across to people. And if you do that, you're wise. You're going to win people over. Win them over to Yahweh's perspective. Is that your perspective about life now and in the life hereafter? Do you see the fruit of your righteous life? Is it starting to come back to you? Are you watering and it's being watered now for you? Are you scattering seed and God is producing a harvest of righteousness in your life and in the life of your family and in others around you. Are, are you winning people over to your perspective on life? Do they see your righteous life and then say, I want to serve that God that you serve. I see what He's done in your life. I see the blessing. I want to have that. Or do you go about chasing the wind? Grasping at things that aren't there. Oh, you want to be a person rather who bears fruit for God. Like a tree of life. Solid. Sturdy. Like an oak tree. Like a, like a tree of righteousness. That's what you want. I conclude with verse 31. If the righteous will be rewarded in the earth... How much more the wicked and the sinner? Oh, beloved, avoid the disgusts of the Lord and take up with His delights, both now and for eternity. The contrast is so clear. If the righteous will be rewarded in the earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? If you'll be that righteous palm tree planted by the streams of water, the Lord will reward you on the earth. And if He'll reward that person, how much more will be the retribution of the wicked, the sinner? The contrast is so clear. Lord, we thank You tonight that You have 
granted us such wisdom from your word. And I dare not think of another person than our Lord Jesus Christ to see as that one who modeled that faithfulness, that righteousness. He is the one who is our example. He is the one who provides the way. He is the one who grants us eternal life. He's the one who tells us the way to go. He's wisdom personified. He shows us through the wisdom that He has given men like Solomon of old. This is the way. Walk ye in it. Lord, I pray that a Bible study like tonight would Give us much food for thought. What is my character really like? How do I handle my money? What is my present and future destiny? Lord, Your Word is so rich. And it gives us the clear contrasts of black and white, true and false good and bad. May we rely completely and only on Jesus Himself to be our justifier and we His justification. We pray that You would grant us this wisdom from Your Word to do that which You command. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.